The Reluctant Mentor, Chapter 5, A Gamble You think you can convince them to fight with us? Athergast asked doubtfully. John considered this as they grabbed their mugs of cider and found a table in the back of the crowded tavern. It bustled with farmers and miners coming in for a drink after another long day of paying taxes. The place smelled of pigs, sheep, cattle, and, worst of all, man. John thought the women smelled marginally better. It depends on what caliber of swords you want for the job. It usually only takes one hero, Athergast replied. John considered the foamy top of his cider, thinking that, of all the ciders he'd had, he didn't recall any having a greenish foam before. He disregarded caution and took a healthy gulp. I still don't know how that works, he said eventually. I've just accepted it, Athergast said, an edge of bitterness to his voice as he swallowed half his pint. Peeper nudged out of the wizard's pocket enough to give John a disdainful look. John covertly withdrew a few small leaves and fed them into the robe. Athergast didn't seem to notice. So, how much? How much what? Gold? Gods, didn't you think you had to pay them? The wizard blinked as if he'd never heard of such an idea. And indeed, wizards rarely concerned themselves with the cost of living, shutting themselves up in their towers most days and dreaming of a far-off retirement that none ever seemed to achieve. Though Athergast knew the value of a nice coat, or a tin of tobacco, or a subpar pour of cider, he hadn't really considered how much a hero would cost. They won't fight unless they're paid, handsomely, I suspect, given the nature of the mission being so vague. They usually just do it for free, Athergast muttered. You know, destiny and all that. I see. They sat and drank their drinks as they considered. Then, John scratched the wisp of hair caterpillaring his upper lip. So, you don't have any left? I have some the wizard said, looking uncomfortable over the whole topic. John tapped his mug and stared around the tavern's steadily noisier-growing atmosphere. A thin girl with a lute and what he presumed to be her father began strumming and singing a hearty song in front of the crackling fireplace. John scanned the rest of the patrons and noticed a few rougher folk, rougher in the sense that they carried muscles from something other than plowing fields or pulling squealing piglets, sitting hunched over their table with a stack of copper coins between them. A woman with biceps the width of John's head threw a set of dice, and they all gave shouts in varying degrees of discontent. John turned back to the wizard, a smirk already forming. Enough for a buy-in? It hadn't taken much to convince the scoundrels at Table 5 to let Athergast and John join their dice game. John just walked right up to them, plopped himself down, and with a bright, winning smile, asked, Got room for one more? Most people so brazen would find themselves on a long trip to hell, but John quickly ingratiated himself with the muscled crew. To Athergast, anyone who wasn't a wizard was muscled in some way, but this crew looked especially formidable. There was the barbarian woman with a sharp eye and a two-handed axe stored within reach, who introduced herself as Shreya. There was the stout but sturdy warrior with a long sword, six daggers, and a topknot tied from his beard to his widow's peak, named Scout. There was a gruff, pincer-faced woman with a gleaming breastplate that surely made sitting at the table uncomfortable, named Priscilla. And there was the roguish gentleman dressed in all black that seemed to blend with the furniture, and vanished to the bathroom before anyone could introduce him, then left the story completely because, as already established, Athergast's throw-together troop already had a rogue via John. "'What'll we play for?' 
Shreya asked, and it became instantly clear that she would do most of the talking for this group to avoid confusion or too much in-depth side character growth. John held out a hand to Athergast, who slipped into the spot previously occupied by the rogue, then fumbled for his coin purse and withdrew one, two, three silver pieces. John gave an agreeable nod. There you have it. What do you say? Shreya raised her brows and snorted. I say that's enough for the squirt here to play, but we don't do magic folk round here. Discrimination? John accused, but his tone was light. She shook her head. I've heard enough about wizards and their illusions to know I'm not going to trust one in a game of chance. Fair enough. Athergast watched Peeper squirm quietly out of John's pocket and disappear somewhere under the table, and a new idea formed in his head. I have to go to the bathroom, he announced. The barbarian and her companions raised their brows. John put a hand over his face and shook his head. It's a thing you have to do at my age, Athergast said. It comes when you least expect it. Just go, John begged, and so he did. Athergast squatted in his room over the chamber pot and thought hard about his next move. No, not that move, the one at the table. The hired swords were clever enough to keep a wizard out of their games. But what about an innocent Dahlia snuffling for snacks? Athergast had spent enough time with the Dahlia by now that he had a good grasp on the little beastie's mind. Enough that, if he concentrated, he might just be able to reach Peeper's consciousness and look through his eyes and see the dice hidden beneath each player's cup. Wizards couldn't talk to animals. That would be foolish because animals didn't think in human terms. For example, a horse might look at you and pull its ears back and think, nay, nay, snort, nay. That meant something to horses, but it didn't translate like you might expect. In the same regard, when Athergast reached out to Peeper, he felt the furry impression of a mind set on cigars. Aha! No, that doesn't mean you're my familiar. Peep, peep. It's not cheating if it's for the good of the world. Chirrup. Wizards had an interesting sense of right and wrong as far as it came to the gray end of a business deal. Heroes were right. Monsters were wrong. Books were right. Gossip was wrong. Except that rumor about Professor Willisworth in the potions department. That one turned out to be truer than a cold butt on a frosty morning wee. And so, in the case of pushing the hands of fate in their favor on this one occasion, Athergast reasoned it was perfectly all right. After all, a few swords losing out on some coin they'd likely earned through less than legal means was more than justifiable when the stake of life itself stood in the balance. The boy, John, was an impressive liar, and from the little Athergast had seen, a decent bluffer, too. They'd have enough coin to hire an army if Athergast had anything to say about it. He toddled back to the noisy tavern and sat at the table, his mind now latched onto peepers. There's one side effect to magic yet to be discussed, and that's the matter of transference. Every magic user has some version of this. It's the balance of nature. To draw power from one thing is to expel something in return. After all, when one eats a sandwich, one must make room for said sandwich in, ahem, other ways. Magic comes at a cost, and for the case of wizards, that cost is flatulence. Thus it was that Athergast the Advisor, wizard of the fourth degree for the Academy of High Wizardry, sat at this table watching John gamble away his small stipend, his mind hooked to peepers, as the Dahlia peeked under cups to read the opponent's die, and the smell of bad eggs puffed from beneath his magnificent robes. Athergast's magical tether wrinkled noses around the table, 
But as many a common person knows from sitting in crowded places, it's very difficult to determine where a strange smell is coming from. It's even better to squint your eyes, look around accusingly, and act as though you too have been affronted by this dastardly act. Athergast did just this whilst tapping the dice count of each player on John's foot as Peeper popped into their view. John bluffed brilliantly, and within a half hour, the boy scooped up a handful of silver and copper with a friendly grin. The barbarian and her companions were less impressed. The barbarian woman, Shreya, slapped a hand over John's, stopping him as he tried to stand. Not so fast, she growled. John, ever the master of charm, managed to maintain his smile. Is there a problem? I said we don't deal with magic folk. I? Shreya's stare was so cold it could have frozen an active volcano. And I suspect your grandfather over here is playing some trick on us. Athergast blanched, but John recovered for them both. He settled back into his chair easily, as if it were his idea. Then he leaned in, and there was something inexorable about the way he did it. The barbarian and her two companions leaned in with him. Even Athergast felt his chin tilt forward to listen. Truth is, Athergast here has hardly got any magic on him. He's a bit of a failure. Got kicked out of the academy and everything. He did, did he? Said Shreya, still unconvinced. See, he was supposed to get this hero on board with some big quest, but the hero said no. Scout, the one with the top knot, screwed up his face. Can they do that? Turns out they can if... Get this. He lowered his voice to a conspiratorial whisper. He's the prince. That's right, that prince. The beefed-up trio turned their eyes to Athergast, who gave a solemn and honest nod. It's true, he added for unnecessary effect. And that's not all, John said, drawing the eyes back to himself. Turns out when the prince rejected him, Athergast as well as put his neck to the end of a noose. They sent him packing with nary a spell to his name. Shreya glared. What about a staff? Walking stick, Athergast said automatically. Unplugged from the source. John shrugged, which somehow seemed to work. The woman in the breastplate, Priscilla, gave Athergast a pitying look. Athergast's shriveled pride swelled a bit in annoyance, but he stuffed it down. You're saying the Academy kicked this old man out without a word? Shreya asked. There were some words, John allowed, just not very kind ones. Athergast, still uncertain as to whether he knew how to lie, simply nodded. Much as he'd like to have manufactured a tear, all his magical efforts had gone to the gambling, and he needed a recharge. Quick magical recharges could be best ingested through garlic, pickles, mushy peas, and twice-fried black pudding. Scout and Priscilla seemed all but convinced, but Shreya was a Detrullian egg, the toughest material on the planet next to a man's stubbornness. Now look, John leaned back. You three could easily take Athy and I outside and have us bleeding from every orifice before Peeper here could say peep. Athergast made a face, and Peepers peeped on cue. But you're not going to do that. No? John shook his head. You three make imposing figures, but I reckon you're not so rough as you look. In fact, I reckon you three operate as this town's protectors, when you're not off hunting direwolves and capturing fairies at a cost. Shreya folded her arms. We do what we get paid to do. Sure, John acknowledged, and let the silence hang over the table. Shreya let out a breath through her nose. So you'll pay us back what you cheated and be on your way, out of this town. I never want to see either of your ugly faces again. 
Could do, could do. Or, John smiled, you could come work for us and earn double. Athergast coughed over the drink he'd been sipping, now realizing it wasn't even his, but some thick black ale tasting of mulch. Priscilla grabbed it back while Scout slapped the choking wizard hard on the back, resetting a crick in his neck with a pop. Something tells me you can't afford to pay double, Shreya said. If you help us, the bounty will be enough to pave this town's streets in gold. Athergast wasn't sure how true any of that was. He tried for an encouraging smile through watering eyes, but it looked more like his flatulence had returned. They'll write songs about you, he added. Brilliant songs, John beamed. All the bards from here to Western will sing about your bravery for eons to come. And you'll be saving the world, of course. Scout and Priscilla were both nodding. Heroism can take you so far, but it's always nice to have a few songs written about you, along with a comfortable pile of gold to rest your feet. What exactly will we be fighting? Shreya asked. Something worth a lot of treasure. The three seemed to consider over silent conversation. Finally, Shreya sighed and gave a curt nod. For 80% of the winnings. 40, John said. 75. 50? Shreya raised a brow at the boy, the old wizard, and the tobacco-riddled Dahlia. I have a feeling we'd be taking the brunt of any battle. John relented, but somehow Athergast felt the boy had the victory. For one, the trio wasn't actively knocking the stuffing and stew out of them. 65. Final offer. Shreya stretched out her overlarge hand and squeezed John's. It looked painful, but the boy grinned. We'll set the details in the morning. Tonight, let's drink. You're buying, Shreya told him. It's on, Grandpa Athy, John declared, ignoring Athergast's scowl and bounding toward the bar. That boy really is an exceptional liar, Athergast thought as John returned with sloshing tankards for each of them. The wizard could almost taste the tang of magic in the air when John spoke. Could it be? But no, certainly not. There hadn't been a compeller-speller in these parts for more than a century.